0: all right welcome back everybody to another episode of new agreements i'm here today with sha love
1: hi <laughs> and,
0: uh, yeah, i really appreciate you carving time in this crazy time as you know this is the podcast where we look at what are the new agreements that we should be forming in our social contract together to help us live a fruitful and flourishing life. We've been talking with a whole pile now of academics, founders and movement leaders and about Two episodes ago, I did the podcast conversation with my friend Holly Peterson from Extinction Rebellion. And one of the things that she mentioned was a movement of movements. And I started Googling, looking around on the internet, and I found Shah, emailed Shah, and now we're here. So why don't you tell us, Shah, a bit about your background and then tell us what kind of roles you're in, which meant that I was able to Google and find you on LinkedIn and then stalk you until you said yes to giving me an hour.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for the invitation um, to come and talk to you. Actually, I'm super excited about the conversation we're going to have. And um, I'm really kind of quite keen to really tune in to um, not just what has come before, but the conversations you're going to be having going forward. Because I think this is a really unique moment in time and one where there's so much wisdom and experience starting to come together. So so thank you for the invitation to, to be in conversation with you and hopefully to expand out the conversation with so many of your viewers and listeners who are interested in this topic. So you asked me where I am and where I've come from, if I'm going to sort of, kind of summarize. Yes, that. please. So I currently have a really kind of cool role um, at the Said Business School at Oxford University as an entrepreneur in residence. And that's where uh, the Movement of Movements project has really been incubated.
0: And so before we come onto to this whole concept of movement of movements, then, which it seems like you're in a really good position to talk about. I'm just desperate to know a bit about you. You said you're from Canada. What is that journey? How did you end up in? Are you in London today?
1: I am. I'm calling you from uh, the southwest of London, where the sun is a little bit bright and shining in. One of the words that I've learned a few years ago and has really shaped um, my outlook, like it's kind of like a personal philosophy, is this word heliotropy. And as from some of your, your viewers and listeners will know that from botany, heliotropy is a word that's used to describe the tendency for plants to grow in the direction of the sun. So you can imagine this like field of sunflowers and that as the sun kind of crosses the sky, you see the the, the blooms of those sunflowers sort of following it. And the reason why I love that word and I love that sort of philosophy is uh, because I think we as humans are not that different than our cousins in the flora community I think we will grow taller and stronger and faster when we are motivated by things that are full of warmth and light and positivity rather than the fear and the despair and, and that's not to say we should be like ostriches and putting our heads in the sand metaphorically because we need to appreciate the urgency and the challenges that are existing in this world right now but I always find myself naturally leaning in in the direction of the sun and that's why you might see me as the sun is kind of coming you know, I might sort of start going off going off at an angle. But anyway, so you asked me about my background, and, and again, I, I am from Toronto, I'm born and bred in Toronto, and I, I love my hometown. I've been living here in the UK now for about 12 years, and there's a wonderful love story that is about that journey, which probably uh, is not necessarily the subject of the movement movement. Part two, part two. Yeah. part two. I grew up in a very big family, including uh, incredible mom that was, uh, you know, a lawyer and she sort of was at the Supreme Court of Canada at a really young age. And she's always sort of fighting for justice. And I think that had a really big impact on me. And then my dad is a deep, deep environmentalist. He actually was on a team that came up with the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle. So I have these like vivid memories growing up as a kid. You know, being taken to restaurants and like actually bringing our own plates with us <laughs> because we never wanted to create waste. Um, and I'm the eldest of five. So we kind of grew up in a big family, which also meant that, you know, you get really good at learning how to work and engage on a regular basis with people that are different, especially kind of as a bit of a, a mini kind of tribe, which is what we were. Um, I'm so the youngest family- of four oh so you know big families right like big <laughs> families there's a whole level of negotiation that you learn uh, at an early age that yeah. you, you can't learn that at school i don't think uh,
0: Green <laughs> corps level training
1: yeah exactly black belt black belt i actually started out with a background in art history and that was what i i studied at school when i was at university and um actually it was in high school where i went on an immersive like docenting program to teach teenagers to learn how to talk about contemporary art which is what changed my life. Like, I, I know that's probably a really cliche thing to say, mm-hmm. but there was a moment where where my life could have gone in one direction and instead it went in another. And it was because I had this real opportunity to understand a little bit about contemporary art, but not necessarily just about the art, but how art can make us feel and think. And I remember being, st- like, standing in front of, actually it was a Rauschenberg painting that was at the Art Gallery of Ontario. And one of the docents who was training us, you know,
0: Said, what, what's a docent? Oh, a about?
1: docent. Yeah, so that's a good term to sort of call out. So if you see people in museums that are going around in little groups, it'd be a docent who's leading that conversation. And you really get good in, in training to be docents, like in terms of how to ask questions, but also how to help people understand art and appreciate it. And as someone who has struggled a little bit at school, I'll sort of admit it was going into this art gallery and, and seeing like a contemporary piece of uh, work and someone saying, you know, just know there's no wrong answers. It's genuinely about how you feel and what you think. And I remember having been told, like, I was getting wrong answers in, in other places, let's just say, in, in my active career, but just told there was no wrong answer and that I could really kind of tune into what I was thinking and feeling was such a moment of just like a huge release an opportunity. And I carried that with me. So I went to university, studied art history because I loved that moment. I loved that idea of really kind of tuning into what I was feeling, what I was thinking and knowing it wasn't wrong.
0: Amazing. So I was
1: introduced to Jackson Pollock. And for those of you who may not know what a Jackson Pollock painting is, most people who have seen one. It's like the splatter painting. Like it's just massive canvases, with lots of lots of lines everywhere. And, and often people say, oh, that's something my like four year old could do. And that's fine. Because actually, it's a tr- it's the next level of this whole idea of there's no wrong answer. And Let me just add
0: to that quickly. Yeah. I, mean, I feel that um, in a way, I, I love this phrase, do- docent, right? Docent. Yeah. Yeah, Because I feel like in a way, that's what good coaching is in general. The journey is to try and get you to be okay with your authentic self. That's the starting point. And often we have to go right back to childhood, which is why the woods is so great, because it's such a playful non-doing space but once you connect again to that place of oh I really feel this or I really want that then from that place then you can grow back up the levels and start deciding well what shall we do then you know but without that connection once it's lost you are lost indeed you know there's a there's a part of me that aspires to be a docent for life helping people walk around and engage with life in a way that hey how do you actually look at this movement it's okay whatever your answer is is okay <laughs> anyway totally, please carry on
1: totally totally and, and and i think there's like there's three c's right mm-hmm. to this which is i think the things that are really important for us to all get really good at are to look at the world and think critically right so see one of most think critically about what's happening because like we need to have our eyes open we need to see things and be willing to challenge what's mm-hmm. happening right now to truly really understand it so thinking critically there's also something about how you communicate and that's why it's really important to find our voice. So having the confidence to be able to look at a Jackson Pollock painting and say, I like that or I don't like it. Having a, a, a way to talk about it mm-hmm. and express what you're feeling. So critically communicate. And then, you know, coming to the movement of movements, it, it's really about figuring out then how we collaborate. Like, how, how do we work with other people in order to, even if they have different views on what that Jackson Pollock painting looks like, how can we have a conversation about it? And this brings me to why I use Jackson Pollock all the time actually, when I'm doing my teaching at Oxford. So actually I'm just kicking off a class later on this week um, with the title systempreneurship and how to innovate for impact. Oh,
0: systempreneurship.
1: Systempreneurship. So like, how do we take what we learn as entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs, but actually apply it to the changes that are required at a systems level. And actually like one of the first slides I have for our first class is a picture of a Jackson Pollock painting. Because actually, to me, that is the most clear graphical image. It's the visualization of a system. Yeah. And a lot of people talk about Jackson Pollock in different ways. They can say it looks like frozen jazz, because he used to listen to jazz while he was painting and splattering. It's great videos of him doing that, which I would really recommend, actually, to see yeah. how those paintings materialize. But also, when you ask people, again, this is sort of the docenting coming back, but if you ask people what do they see in a Jackson Pollock painting, it's incredible, the spectrum of answers. You get some people that see a spider web, like just a web of of lines. You see, have some people who answer, I see a cityscape, like I see like a city at night and all the different sort of lines connecting people. I was with this amazing group of social workers from Hong Kong and one of them said, it looks like I'm lying underneath the tree and looking up and watching the light coming through wow, the bridge.
0: That's a cool perspective.
1: Super poetic, right? But that's exactly what the, the Jackson Pollock painting I think inspires is that if you really let yourself go you can look and you can see things in there. What I hope we can we can do is is get people to engage in this idea of the system we have currently really does need to be changed and and how do we start thinking about it and again first it's about being able to see and and be critical, um, either positively or negatively, like look at it truly, and then tune into what you feel about it, Mm. what your role you see as an actor in that system might be, and then think about how you can communicate it. But again, and then coming to the movement of movements, it's really about how do we find ways if we want to change the system, recognizing a Jackson Pollock painting is not just one color. It's like all these textures and lines that are kind of interconnected so if we're going to change that system we need to respect appreciate witness and then engage in that interconnectivity
0: okay so before we come on to that because i want to spend some time on that and 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 push some things around but just on your three c's there about thinking critically communicate and collaborate i actually think that thinking critically Is something that a lot of people haven't really learned and won't feel familiar with so the order of them in my life has been communicate so find that voice that true connection that you're describing as the first first and foremost thing now you've got something to play with Do you know what I mean if you've got that voice and that connection you've got something now with that I've managed to collaborate with people and then from that I get to hear their other perspectives and let them influence mine and then from that I'm then able to learn what it means to think critically because through those other voices, I get to see a critique naturally of, oh, my voice isn't the only voice. There are other voices and there might be good reasons why that's how it works for me. And for others listening who haven't ever been exposed too much to what it means to think critically, that might be a, may
1: i jump in on that one because actually what i would i would encourage people to think about is not it as a linear or sequential line i actually think it's circular as you said you learn something new and maybe that helps you think critically about something in a way you hadn't and then that means you need to reframe your communication around how you're 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 expressing um, or how you're communicating around it so I just and I realize as I'm doing this I'm kind of doing like a little bit of like great like,
0: and I agree with you about the circles not lines but also you got to jump on the carousel somewhere even if it is going round. you've got to you got to pick your place to jump on
1: and knowing that there will be different people that might jump on in different places I think that's yeah. the, that's the key you know it's that's it's not point. otherwise everyone's going to end up on the same horse
0: Nice okay so that that leads us on to where you're at now where you're working on this system
1: maybe I can send you a link to include along with this because there was a piece that a, a friend of mine and I spent some time playing around with a little bit actually which is why this this class is kind of interesting a couple of years on to, to now have a class on it was was recognizing there are some people that don't necessarily start organizations or they don't necessarily work within organizations but what they're interested in doing is really understanding that Jackson Pollock painting and trying to figure out how to create conversations between people, friends and foes, how to navigate sometimes what can look like immense complexity and can be quite paralytic. You know, like you, you almost, some people would see a Jackson Pollock painting and not like it because it's, it's so complex and it's kind of overwhelming, especially when it's these giant huge canvases. So I think this idea of a systempreneur that can recognize like the problem that's at a systems level, really try and understand that system problem, and and then try and figure out who are the different organizations, who are the different people that are looking at ways to address that challenge, and sort of finding ways to bring them together. Often, these are people who make like, again, might not necessarily have specific job titles, their area of interest is sort of at that plane of looking at at the system. You know, there's macroeconomic theory and there's microeconomic theory and then mesoeconomics, which I'm like, I'm really interested in. I, I, I mean, I'm interested in all of it, but like the mesoeconomics, which are the web of kind of relationships and contracts. We never thought about it. Maybe I'm interested in it because it's like a web and Jackson Pollock is like a web. So again, there's like this magic in in the, the mesoeconomics that I just think is super interesting. And I feel like that's the place where Um, a lot of system entrepreneurs play.
0: I guess the question is, how do you, as you're sort of pulling this curriculum around it together, think about quantifying that? Because within an organization, it's quite clear, isn't it? You can say, how much money have they raised? How many people work in the organization? How many products do they put out? How much effect do they have on the environment? That's kind of gives you a bit of a boundary around an entrepreneur or even an intrapreneur within an organization how much resource they've managed to galvanize around their idea. And how do you think about how well they're doing or how much they've done?
1: Yes. Okay. You could be a system printer in an entrepreneurial venture. You could be a system printer in government or, or you could be running a nonprofit organization. Like there's so many things it's, it's more about the approach to, you know, if you think about entrepreneuring as like a verb, right? It's, it's to create something new. It's doing that at that sort of systems level. I'll be honest. I think it, quantifying, systems change is is, a, is an emerging emerging field. Um, I would just give a giant shout out to my friends at the Impact Management Project, um, and, and maybe we can include a link to that, because I think they're doing some really, really excellent and important work around sort of codifying a series of dimensions to think about the impact that investors have, that businesses have,
0: well, and as you're saying, it's all about collaboration, isn't it? And um, as you're speaking, it made me think of something from a couple of podcasts ago. You probably read the history of art in your art history course uh, by yeah. Tombridge. And we had Carl, his grandson on here a couple days, a couple of episodes ago. He started a new university called the London Interdisciplinary School. And he's talking about a networked conception of education, looking at the different um, disciplines and Uh, parts of uh, knowledge that students have managed to assemble in their minds and looking at the quality of the connection. So how far, how big a, a gap was it from Jason Pollock to neurobiology and if you attempted that you get a mark for bravery and you get a mark for execution so all it's making me think is it might be interesting for carl to speak with your friends at the impact management project because there might be something about valuing the work that systempreneurs are doing where the conversation they're trying to hold whether that's a dinner party or a zoom call or something broader if the conversation they're attempting to hold and doing actually not like a great job at in the world's eyes but actually the gap is so big that they're trying to hold between these two communities that are not speaking in any other way there's value in that ultimately whether you choose to quantify it or not basically i think something in the same network thinking that could be cross-pollinated basically
1: I love that one. I just, I love that you use the word pollination right there, because actually that is a really great way of describing. I think also what a system printer can do is like listening to things in one place and then pollinating somewhere over here. One of my entrepreneurial adventures in the 12 years that I've been here was I I helped um, a, a really incredible thought leader named John Althington, well known for Coining the phrase triple bottom line. Uh, when I moved here, I, I actually ended up um, starting a company with him uh, and another incredible woman named Pamela Hardigan, who um, who has sadly passed away. And it's called Volans. And it, it really was, it you know, it still is very much looking at the intersectionality of where things are happening and where systems change needs to go uh, mm-hmm. moving forward. It was actually there that sort of the terminology around systempreneur kind of was first kind mm-hmm. of originated and, and, and generated. Um, but the reason why I reference it is because John, who, uh, who who is um, you know the mastermind behind sort of a lot of this, um, describes himself as the chief pollinator. So I just mm-hmm. you know there's something really quite magic in that language. But I also just wanted to riff a little bit on your on your point about this intersectionality because I think that is that is so critical and it kind of links to the movement of movements because actually one of the ways we frame it is that today's the world's challenges are interconnected. We know that and therefore the solutions must be as well. And that's like the hypothesis that we've been really moving forward with the Movement of Movements project. But again, if we use like art history as a little bit of a um, you know a roadmap, I mean, uh, one of the books that has really inspired me and moved me was a book that was written by a man named uh, Franz Johansson. It's called the Medici effect. He looked at the Medici's and and what happened in sort of in, in emer- the emergence of the Renaissance, which was like a cultural, also an economic and like a, a, a real kind of Renaissance in its true sense across so many different dimensions. And it was like kind of the coming out of the dark ages into, into a new way of being. You could argue that like a, 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 it was a systemic change that happened. Um, but if you look at the role of the Medici family in that, they created these bottegas and these were like the design studios, mm. which, were where the artists work, but actually it was about creating spaces where you could be inspired by the leading thinkers, whether they were in philosophy or economics or um, astrology or art. You know, we think about Leonardo da Vinci because he's obviously an incredible painter and, but he also was a scientist and he had an engineering sort of mindset on all of this as well. So all that's to say is that I think we really do need to like really look for and lean into those places that create the conditions where we can be sort of inspired by different forms of thinking in different areas of expertise, which then can, can kind of fuel the thinking that we have in the particular domain that we, we might wanna work in.
0: This is one of my favorite subjects. I know we've got like 10, 15 minutes. So let's get, what what is the Movement of Movement's project then? What is that?
1: Movement of Movement's project is for a couple of years and it's very quite deliberately not meant to be an organization or yeah. anything that has a whole lot of structure to it which is why it's actually beautifully incubated at the school center because it's not like it's one organization doing it it's just it's a space and it's a place where what we can try and do is understand how to create the conditions for greater collective action and, and collaboration between organizations we've been doing um some mapping to yeah. understand how we could actually visualize where different organizations are operating, but also but mapping them by what kind of interventions, what levers do they want to pull to create a, a change in the system. And again, the hypothesis that we're kind of working to is that No one organization is really going to be able to make the level of change that's required at a systems level. And one of the things that has been of a concern is a mass amount of fragmentation that has been existing. The movement Movements project is about, well, let's figure out who's all trying to pull that lever, whether it's policy, whether it's new forms of accounting, whether it's revisions to business education or convening networks of leaders. Let's find all the people that are trying to address that particular lever and let's get them all to put their hands on it and pull at the same time. And I think that's how we're gonna really sort of see some of the shifts. So once you know who are the organizations that are working on a similar lever or similar challenge, then we have a really interesting conversation we can create. And it's not about like merging these organizations, it's just about getting them to collaborate. And in
0: that sense, is it is it an example of systempreneurship that this is this project an example of that
1: what we're trying to do is is create some space for system printers who who want to work and let's be honest there's so many of the organizations that are there that are working at that systems level so we did spend some time trying to document some case studies kind of do like a 101 on movement theory just so that there was sort of like a baseline of what 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 is a movement and like let's just make sure we're all clear in some ways on what we're talking about when we're using words like docents. And so there's a primer and then, and then there's like the maps and there's a bit of a navigation of how to use those maps. And I should be clear that the first set of maps we did were really focused on climate action movements. So we had about 40 organizations that we mapped, again, based on a bunch of different levels, but the one that was really interesting was what are the different like interventions or, or activities or strategies they have. And, and you can see a visualization of where there's sort of like a concentration. Is it public? It is, it is, it's all on the website. So we can we can hyperlink to it for sure. Actually, the impact management project that we've talked about is is used as a, as a case study. And right now, what is so exciting about the time that we're living in is that there's really real-time action that's happening. And so I've been really inspired by Imperative 21. Um, as a great example of the, a mobilization of a movement of movements. There's a range of organizations that have really come together as allies. We're calling it allies in systems change and working together to figure out how to enable deep levels of collaboration, but also agreement on a series of, of imperatives <laughs> um, that, that we can kind of all agree to uh, in order to progress the work that we do together forward. So that might be something fun for people to tune into as well
0: yeah nice, and we'll include the links in for that as well. I think I joined one of the calls the other day, and it was very inspiring to see all these different people, some pretty senior people in society as well in there. Before I ask you about what your new agreement uh is, I just want to come back to that lever idea because for people who have not worked on this kind of conceptual level before and it all might sound like just words, I can say that as a small business entrepreneur, I have experience that when you're trying to raise a round of let's say a hundred thousand pounds or a million pounds you you heard the cats is the phrase that's often being talked about where you've got to get all the people with all the capital all the money got to get them all around at the same time and you have to create as the founder as the person raising the money you've got to kind of like lock them all down onto a deadline get them all to put their name on the sheet but somehow the network effect of them all hovering around the business is what kind of pulls the thing together and it's hard to hold the space but boom you get all the money in and then you've raised your round and off you go and i guess at a meta level i think it's kind of what you're describing here is that you can have a little spark of a movement over there you can have a little spark of an idea over here but if you can stack all the different uh, bits of heat on top of each other and as you said on top of the lever and you you kind of act as the person herding the cats, then you can in- intensify that heat, potentially get combustion in a way that if it was all spread out and fragmented, I think was the word you use. you might not get that same emergent effect.
1: Yes, and, yes, and. Um, I, one of the things I, I feel like maybe hasn't surfaced as much as I would like it to in this conversation is is about, it's it's about yes, agreeing on the lever, but also appreciating differences. Because actually going back to the Medicis, like, what we do need to make sure is we have not everybody Um, All sort of in hyper agreement on everything, because then that's missing the real diversity and the sort of stretch that we need to make sure we go through in order to think critically, (laughs) um, in order to form that communication and then collaborate, really kind of, again, holding the need to to be agreeing on enough that we can move forward but recognizing that we have to hold the space for really diverse conversations and diverse opinions and actually you know just last night we've got this little kind of community that's forming called uk21 mm-hmm. sort of a forum or a space not again not an organization but a space and we had this campfire last night we're calling them virtual campfires because again they're not meetings they're like like the same feeling as we would be on like example, a beach in your backdrop there, like that picture, like a little campfire where people are coming together and being really human and getting like, you know, smoking their hair and eating marshmallows and just being really real. And in the moment, what we wanted to do is quite purposely be as open as we could be. And we were not diverse enough. I will number, like say that off the bat. Mm -hmm. Um, But the line that we wanted to really anchor it was actually a line that I learned from a good friend named Pedro Turac in the sort of B Corp movement. And he said, it's more important to be together than to agree, and so again, if we talk about the levers and like again this idea of in in a, in a view of getting a lot of people to all pull in the same time, that is based on a level of agreement but but I want to be clear that it's really important to make sure and it's more important to make sure that we are holding space and being together with people that we might not agree with
0: So do you think we need any new agreements then?
1: We need some new agreements <laughs> so...
0: let's. But when it comes to putting pressure on a lever, when it comes to actually saying that there's something specific that we should be thinking about, what is a, a new agreement that you think would speak to the world that we're in, that if we could societally agree on it, then that would make a huge difference systemically to how we experience life and the flourishing potential?
1: It's a big question, and and I, I do want to give it proper times. So first off, you, you talk about a pie, and I actually haven't thought about it as a pie in a while. And pies are things that you slice like right there's pieces of pies and again i don't really think of my my world as a pie that i, I think i do think of it as a cocktail where it's actually what makes it interesting for me at least <laughs> is that there's a whole lot of stuff that's blended together and it's integrated um and you know like that's it's not easy let's just be clear um i have to constantly be aware of like potential complications and conflicts and so i am I'm, I'm quite attuned to that and i also can be clear that it's just like any good cocktail, like sometimes you can get too much of one ingredient in there and it can then make you like a little hang- hungover. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out what that right cocktail, cocktail mix is. So to your question about what the specific, like what the agreement is, one of the things that we have been spending a lot of time at B-Lab UK talking about, the premise that we do believe that business can be a force for good and what we have in the B Corp community are here in the UK you know 300 like living breathing examples of businesses that are operating for the benefit of both planet people and you know their shareholders so in other words to become a b corp as you will have heard from cressy it really means equally considering your shareholders and stakeholders and actually making that legal so uh, another like condition of becoming a b corp is you actually have to change your legal constitution your governing documents to make it that explicit to make it explicit that your director's duties of your business are to to equally consider shareholders and stakeholders Mm. we think every business should do that now not everyone and not every business will be a b corp let's be clear you know that is not, not what i'm saying but i think that there is something to be said about how we look at the company law the company act here in the uk one of the projects we've been really looking at is this idea of operation upgrade so if there is a moment we are in right now sort of reset the role of businesses in society one of the things we think we need to do is upgrade what the conditions are to be a business in society today And so our very kind of clear point of intervention is to go and look at the Company Act and say actually in Section 172, we should make sure that for all businesses, it is explicit that the director's duty must be to equally consider shareholders and stakeholders. It should be to be clearly articulating what the purpose of the business is, like what material positive impacts that business is creating and also to be held to account for it by reporting on it. I don't think it's just policy. We also need to think about the ways in which we support and create a culture where this is what it means to be doing business in the 21st century. So that's the agreement that I would like to see and I would love it to be underpinned by the voices of people. I would love it to be something that, again, we have material evidence that shows that this is what people want. They want businesses to be doing good. Um, They want businesses to be a force for good. And that we have the law and the culture that allows businesses to really do the best that they possibly can to meet the needs of people and planet, as well as other stakeholders and shareholders that they have to consider.
0: I think what you're talking about is a, a new agreement between directors of companies and shareholders of companies where you're asking the shareholder to accept that there should be other responsible parties in the shareholders agreement in the foundational documents of the company rather than just to them that's that's at its core level what it is right
1: it is but it's also about recognizing that the purpose of the business itself um, so i would, I would say it's, it's not just the duties of the directors but it's actually how the business engages and considers stakeholders and those stakeholders are the local communities that the businesses operate in the supply chain the workers <laughs> Their customers and future generations, by way of their consideration of the environmental
0: impacts. You're talking about making that narrative mandatory within the agreement, right? So
1: I would I wouldn't say it's a narrative. <laughs> I think a narrative. Um, it, I mean, it is a narrative, but actually, it is about um, you know making it quite clear and explicit. Um, that those that this is what it means to be uh, a running a running a business. Like you have to adhere to adhere to that.
0: Yeah, I, I think we're on the same page. And then the the next agreement on top of that is then trying to get the government to agree that this kind of agreement between the people running a business is the right kind of agreement that we should look to standardize with everybody. So that's cool. I hadn't thought about it in those sort of relational terms before. So then the final question, then, just back up into this world that we're in right now, is you know, we've got the XR protests popping up every six months. We've got the Black Lives Matter, we've got coronavirus. Like, let's say you you win, let's say what you're trying to do works and it scales and and B Corp standards of organizational engagement with the world becomes normal. Would, would this meet some of the cries that we are hearing at the moment in the world, the cries that we're hearing for change? Is is what you're building like an organizational answer to what the, the heart cry of the people is, or is it something different?
1: I, I, I'd hope it is, but that's not for me to answer, if mm-hmm. I'm honest. We're doing the best we can based on what we have a ability to, to process. Again, we're constantly looking to make sure that we are in dialogue and, and conversing and having the considerations for what's happening in different spaces. But it's not for me to actually, I don't think, answer. On behalf of some of those those other movements, I would love to hear what they think about what we're doing. However, I do want to just pick up, because you said like, if we win, and I just, I'm-
0: I knew you were gonna have a go. No,
1: and, and it's just, it's one of those things, because I think actually, it, because if you have winners, you're assuming there's losers,
0: <laughs> yeah, and, the you know, old company structure yeah
1: i i I actually am more again coming back to like my heliotropic view is like ultimately, I think everybody should be winning like we we should make it so that um that it's not seen as there's people that are losing losing right it's it's how do we create people the
0: losing the idea is losing, but
1: but I just we have to be careful of that because that's setting up a binary condition yeah,
0: but do um, you want do you want like Oh, it doesn't matter. It's another conversation. I mean, we could be here all day for this, but I mean, I think you can just get too too over the top as well. Like racism is an idea that we want to lose. Yes, it's I as agree. Simple as that, and there's come there are agreements around how to run organizations that are shit ideas, and we want those ideas to lose so that people can win. And I think it's I don't think that. I, I, know, I knew that flair would go off as soon as you heard me say win, because it sets up a game scenario and life yeah. is not a game. And I have made posters and postcards about that. But, but in the same breath, there are some ideas that I will say just need to lose. I, so, and they need to lose.
1: <laughs> so I agree. I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, you know, one of the definitions of movements that I'm, I'm really interested in is a movement is when, everyone like actually feels like they're kind of part of it, right? Like you're, you're, you're bringing so many people on board. So I guess that's what I'm kind of more speaking to. Cause you're right. There are things that definitely are not part of this new system. Let's just be absolutely clear. It's about how, how I, I think in, by nature, there's most people are like good, like they're good people. Yes, and, yes. and, and so the idea of how do we make sure that we're bringing people on that journey so that they're all feeling like they're part of what this future vision could be of a society that's equal. It's just, it's inclusive and it's regenerative by design. Like we have to figure out the ways of bringing everybody on that, that journey. So you're right. There's things that are not on that journey. There are, there are things that shouldn't be in our world right now. I feel like sometimes I've been worried by some of the, the military, analogies that are out there and i feel like we we need to be working together and that's kind of the spirit of the movement of
0: movements couldn't agree more couldn't agree more uh thank you so much for carving out a bit more than an hour in your busy crazy schedule it's uh, really amazing to hear about docents and systempreneurs and the role of the movement of move not the movement but movements of movements the people and the the organizations that sit in the gaps, in the liminal space that help create connections that bring people together. And it's great work. And I'm really chuffed to hear about it. I'm glad that there's such a momentum in the communities that you're helping facilitate at the moment around this UK21. We'll get all the links and stick them all in below so you guys can go and actually participate in this and actually hear other people's views and, and get some of the energy, frankly. It's good energy. I guess my hope is that it does end up uh, meeting in the middle with some of this sort of activist heart cry in the in the equality and ecological movements i hope that some of these structures do end up meeting in the middle as answers and i think the rub as anyone listening can hear is in where you start to define your boundaries and and linguistically we're experiencing that in this conversation in the last couple of minutes but you know, like when two oceans mix, there is a turbulence where you have to get to that that edge where you find your boundaries and edges, and I, and that is an exciting challenge to find out how we do that well, because that's where the rubber hits the road on changing systems. So
1: it's when things get hard, and we're we're kind of thinking hard and and really having deep conversation. That's when you know you're into some new spaces. So I I welcome that. And I've really enjoyed the conversation today. And I hope it's just the beginning of a range of conversations. Can I do just a small plug? Is that okay? To say that like the UK21 community is just starting. And we are inspired by Imperative21, which is this idea of bringing together different organizations to work in harmony and concert. And if there's anyone on that's listening that wants to join us in UK21 or start Chile 21 or Japan 1021 or Italy 21 or Canada 21. Like I I think that creating the spaces where people can come together um, and really explore some of these things around campfires or whatever is the most locally relevant kind of way to gather. I think that that's a super interesting set of conversations to have and if there's anything I can do to be of support to anyone who wants to be on that journey, I'd really love to connect.
0: Wicked, wicked. All right, yeah, and um, I'm sure I'll be joining some of those soon as well. We
1: did have marshmallows. I had a bag of marshmallows on on this campfire, and I was sort of like awesome up trying to catch them in my mouth. So, yeah, you got to make it playful, too.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe I'll get myself a bag of marshmallows and join you on your next campfire chat.
1: Please do. You would be most welcome, and it would not be the same if you weren't there. So, thank you.
0: All right, thanks, (laughs) chat.
1: All right, see you later.
0: Green man.